Good morning. It's good to see you, and it's good to be in the house of the Lord and to have this opportunity to share in this time of worship and a fellowship of communion and this time to study God's Word. I, we certainly want to thank everyone who's visiting with us this morning, and um, as Brother Monty said, we want you to feel welcome and comfortable in the service and know you are our honored guest. <clears throat> thank Brother Darrell for the prayer of the morning and uh, on my behalf, and, and it is also my prayer that the things that we'll study this morning will be interesting to you and, and encouraging to you um, as they have been to me in, in uh, preparing uh, for the lesson this morning. <clears throat> The, uh, we've been studying for the past few months the book of Daniel, and we went through uh, the first uh, six chapters of Daniel, which is, which is all history and, and an account of, of Daniel's time when he was in, and the children of Israel were in Babylonian captivity, and, and, and some of the high points, some of the uh, major uh, events that happened during that time, and, and uh Last month, we, we studied Daniel chapter 7, which is that the first half of the book of Daniel is, is that history section, and the second half is, is our prophecies, or they're all prophecies uh, that were given to Daniel concerning the, time that, the times that would happen uh, following uh, their captivity in Babylon leading up to and including uh, the, the arrival of the Messiah. And, and so that's going to, uh, as we get to Daniel chapter 9, this is, to me, a very fascinating um, chapter of the Bible. And, and I've entitled the lesson this morning, God's Appointed Time, because one of the things that we've seen throughout Daniel is, and that we've been reminded of, is that God's in control and that God has a plan. And God's plan is coming to pass. And God made that known through the events in the life of Daniel, that he was in control and that the events that were happening were under his control and that he was preserving his people uh, through that time of captivity, captivity that a remnant of them were going to return to Jerusalem, to their homeland. And eventually the remnant, a remnant of that would be the nucleus of God's kingdom, his eternal kingdom that, that would be established that he had shown through the events again through those first six chapters and the dream that he gave Nebuchadnezzar and the prophecy that we read about in Daniel chapter 7. So we get to Daniel chapter 9 and the, uh, let me turn this on and maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. <laughs> so we'll do it the old fashioned way. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law. So we read this verse in Galatians chapter 4, which is talk, which of course is referring to the time that Jesus was born into this world and the significance of that. And it talks about this happened in the fullness of time or according to God's appointed time. You know, it's, it's interesting to me at this time of year when the Christian world celebrates the birth of Jesus that... I, I'm reminded of, especially in, in the context of the lesson this morning, of the wise men who came seeking he who was born king of the Jews. 
And it says that these wise men came from the east. And, you know, when we, we look at a map, we see where they came from. It was this place that used to be Babylon. It was this area that, uh, that Daniel and the Jewish people were had held captive all those years before. And it, said, it refers to them as wise men. And that word wise men um, is, comes from the Greek word magi, which you may recognize that from the Babylonian captivity when Daniel was called before Nebuchadnezzar and he would call all of his wise men, the astrologers and the philosophers and the Chaldeans and the magicians. And, and these were, so these were kind of those type of people, you know, in, this, in Daniel chapter two tells us that following his uh, interpretation of Daniel, of, of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that he was put in charge of this order of the Chaldeans and of the wise men. So it's interesting to me that, that, that we see, I believe, the influence of the Jewish people and probably the word of God that they had access to during the time that, that the Jewish people were held in that captivity. And, the, you know, there were a lot of the Jewish people when they were allowed to return to Judea that chose not to, that actually stayed there. And so you, I think we see the, the lingering influence of God's people on the people of, of, the, of the east, the people of Babylon, which of course were eventually taken captive by the Persians and, and, and following them, the, the Greek empire and following that, the Roman empire. But I think we still see this lingering influence of God's people on these wise men who recognized the signs of the time and the time of the birth of the promised Messiah of the Jewish people. You know, it's also interesting uh, to me that, uh, you know, God had, had purposely revealed something to them that indicated this, that being in the star that they followed in, in seeking after, that they saw that as a sign of this fulfillment of the prophecy of the coming Messiah, the, the one who would be the king of the Jews. You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, he was talking to the Jewish leaders, to the, to the Pharisees there, and, and they asked him for a sign from heaven. And he said, he said, you know, it's strange to me that you can look and you can look at the sky and see that it's red and red and lowering, and you can tell whether a storm is coming or not. You kind of have figured out a way to predict the weather, but you don't recognize the signs of the time that you're living in. <sighs> These wise men who came from the east recognized they were watching for and looking for the signs of the promised Messiah, but God's own people, the Jewish people who had access to God's word and all of these prophecies did not recognize the times that they were living and that this was the time of the fulfillment of all of these prophecies and promises that God had made through the years, through the, through the prophecies of the, of the uh, Old Testament and the prophets. <clears throat> I'll quit trying to do that. <clears throat> so we begin in Daniel chapter nine and the first verse says, in the first year of Darius, <clears throat> the son of Ahasuerus of the lineage of the Medes who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So we recognize uh, Darius. If we look here, this is a quick look at the Babylonian kings um, who were in power during the time of the, of the Jewish captivity. And we remember Nabopolassar, who was the king at the time that, that Daniel and his fellows were taken captive out of Judea and that Nebuchadnezzar, his son, 
became king very shortly thereafter, in fact, within a year. And then we remember the, fi- the last of the kings who were on the throne of Babylon at the time that it was overtaken by the Medes and the Persians, and that was Nabonidus, and specifically Belshazzar, who shared that throne um, at the time that, that the Babylonians were, were defeated and the Persians took, took over. And then we, then we find that Darius was the first of the Persian kings who reigned over Babylon, and he actually was kind of a sub-king to Cyrus, who was the true king of the, the Medes and the Persian Empire. But Darius had been specifically given rule over Babylon in the area where the, uh, where the Jews were held captive. And so there are many references to Darius um, during, in, in the book of Daniel, and specifically again here in chapter 9. And so uh, Daniel tells us it was in the first year of the reign of Darius. And if we remember back in the history portion, that's also the, ta- the same time that Daniel was cast into the den of lions during that during that time, that early time of the reign of Darius. If we look at the timeline here again, we see that the the Jews were taken captive, the first Jews were taken captive in 606 BC and that we're in the approximately the year 539, 538 BC when this prophecy is given to Daniel. And so there's just a couple of years away uh, according to, as, as I understand the timeline and, and the history to where Cyrus, <clears throat> the king of the Medes and the Persians, the ultimate king, was going to give the decree for the Jewish people to return to their homeland, to go back and to rebuild the temple. And that would happen in 536 BC. And so isn't it amazing <clears throat> that this, the prophecies that God had given concerning that time that they would spend there of 70 years is perfectly fulfilled beginning in 606 and ending with the decree of Cyrus in 536. And following that are some other kings of Persia that we find in the Old Testament scriptures. And this is not a complete list, but a list of those who are specifically mentioned uh, in scripture. <clears throat> so as in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the des- desolations of Jerusalem. So, so here's Daniel who has been in now in captivity for 68 years. We're, we assume that he was a teenager at the time he was taken captive. So at this, at this time, Daniel's in his 80s. He's probably around his mid-80s. Um, at the time that he, he receives this prophecy. He has basically lived the majority of his life in captivity and he has been through a lot of events during that life and through all that time he has seen the faithfulness of God. And he has, and we can say he went through a lot of spiritual trials and his faith was strengthened through all of those trials and, and difficulties that he went through and he grew spiritually through all of those events. Um, and one of the things we also see is that Daniel had access to the word of God. Even in captivity, the preservation of God's word, uh, just as God preserved his people, he preserved his word. And Daniel had access that, to that word. And specifically, he mentions here that he had access to the writings of Jeremiah, who was a contemporary with Daniel, that the writings of Jeremiah happened in the years just before the time that that probably Daniel was born and up through the time that he was taken into captivity and, and after that. But he, he's going back and he's reading from Jeremiah. He's, re, he's studying at Jeremiah the prophet. And what he, he realizes is 
this 70-year period of time. And Daniel's thinking back to when he was taken captive back there in 606. And he realizes, hey, it's, we're almost there. We're 68 years into this 70-year period uh, that, that Jeremiah prophesied. And we look, Jeremiah 29 and verse 10 says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. And so Daniel, this is one of the verses certainly that Daniel was reading. And it says after that 70 years, we're going to return. And, and Daniel's realizing this. And there's certainly, there's got to be a lot of emotions that Daniel's going through as he's, as he's comprehending this, that this time is about to come to an end. You know, the scripture tells us back in, you know, when Daniel was cast in the lines at the end that his, his, uh, uh, the thing that he did every day is he prayed to the Lord. He faced Jerusalem and three times a day he prayed to God. And, and I know I'm, the scripture doesn't tell us specifically. I'm sure one of the things he prayed about was the return of his people, his being able to go back to their homeland and, you know, thanking God for their preservation and looking forward to hopefully a time that they would return. And so now he's realizing that all of this is coming to pass. All of these events are coming to pass. And again, we look at that. 70 years of captivity, um, and we've kind of talked about this already, so I won't, won't go over it again. But again, it was that 70 years was right there at the completion. You know, if we continue the reading in Jeremiah following where he talks about that 70 years, he, this is a verse that we probably see a lot today, and, and we see the context that it was spoken of by Jeremiah following that 70 years of captivity and speaking about God's chosen people of Israel, for I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. He's talking about the end of this 70 years. You turn to me and you pray to me and I'm going to hear, I'm going to hear your supplications. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places that I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. So Daniel's reading this, and, and we see the influence it has on Daniel because the next verse says, Then I set my face toward the Lord to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth, and ashes. So when Daniel realizes this, what does he do? He immediately, he goes to God in prayer and he starts praying about all of the events that have happened during the 68 years. And he says he does it with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. He debases himself. He, he, he puts on what the Old Testament refers to as, as a sackcloth, which I understand to be uh, a black goat's hair, a, a covering of black goat's hair that was very rough and uncomfortable, but it was, it was a way of, of um, showing humility and, and putting, in, putting ashes on yourself, which showed mourning. Uh, you know, we don't do those things today. Maybe it would be easier sometimes if we did, you know, to people up would understand maybe the, the emotions, the feelings that we're going through, the times that we're going through. Was, um, that, so Daniel... He, he, he makes it in, in this, this appeal of repentance that, that Daniel is displaying. He says, and I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps the covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. And so we get into that prayer that, that Brother Isaac read for us this morning there in the book of Daniel. Thank you for that reading. 
Isaac. And so we, we're going to go through this fairly quickly. <sighs> he, he makes his appeal to God and he says, one of the things that strikes me in the, in the beginning here, he says he keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. That's a reminder to me of what Jesus said in John 14 and 15. And if you love me, keep my commandments. That's that's, what, that's our responsibility as Christians, as people of God, that we keep his commandments. That's how we show our love to God, not with lip service, but by, by keeping the commandments of God and doing his will in our lives. And he says, and I prayed that to the Lord God and made confession and said, O Lord and great and awesome God, getting to the last part of this sentence, he says, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgment. So he said, God, you keep your covenant with those who love you and keep your commandments. But then what does he say? But we didn't do that. We didn't do that. We failed to keep your commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. So he's confessing. He's reminding himself and in this prayer to God of all the reasons that they were in that captivity, the things that had led up to them taken into captivity. Neither did we heed your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord of righteousness, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face. Lord, you're righteous, but we are not. We recognize our sinfulness. We recognize our failures that has resulted in the situation that we found ourselves in for these 68 years. To the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far and off countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which we've committed against you, O Lord, to us belongs shame of face. To our kings and our princes and our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants the prophets. And you can see Daniel in his sackcloth and ashes and in his humility, confessing all these things and recounting all these things to the Lord. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. What is he referring to? He's referring back to the law of Moses that, that, that God gave to Moses back there in the, in the book of Leviticus when part of that curse, that he said, you know, if you obey these commandments, you're going to have blessings, but if you don't obey them, you're going to have a, there's, the curse will be upon you. And one of the curses that he talked about was captivity. If they failed to keep the, the will of God, that, they, that captivity, they would be taken captive into a foreign land. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us, that those things he promised have come upon us by bringing on us a great disaster for under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. So the fame of what had happened to Jerusalem, what had happened, the people had been taken captive. The city had been destroyed. The temple had been wiped out. It had been leveled. And Daniel said, that's, that is the notoriety that is, is known throughout the world. And he said, we're, we're an astonishment to the, to the world around us. Therefore, says the Lord, this is going back to Jeremiah, and this is thinking about some of the things that Daniel was referring to. Thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, I will send and take all of the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, against these nations around 
will utterly destroy them and make an astonishment, a hissing and a perpetual desolation. So again, this, this, these were the things that, that Jeremiah had prophesied and that Daniel was referring back to. And again, in Daniel chapter nine, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster came upon us and we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn our iniquities and under, turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Daniel said, we've, we've not brought ourselves to the, to the true repentance that you've called for the, through the things that we have suffered. And again, referring back to Deuteronomy, it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all of his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you and all. And they were witnesses. And again, all the things that had happened both to Israel who had been taken captive by the Assyrians and who would never return as a people and to the, those of the, of the uh, tribe of Judah and of Benjamin who were in Babylonian captivity who God was preserving to preserve his promise that he had made to Abraham that through their descendants the Messiah would come into the world. O Lord, according to your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, from your holy mountain because of our sins and for our iniquities for our father of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant, his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Return us to our homeland. Return the worship that we had with you in the temple. That is what he is asking for. Oh, Lord, incline your ear and hear and open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name, for we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. We pray this not because we deserve it, Lord, but because of your mercy, because of your truth, and because of your promises that you would restore us. Oh, Lord, hear, exclamation. Oh, Lord, forgive, exclamation. Oh, Lord, listen and act, exclamation. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. And so this beautiful prayer by Daniel, as it concludes, he, he is emphatic in the things that he asked God for, to hear and to forgive and to act, to bring about the fulfillment of the things that he has promised. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And so what Daniel's saying here is while he was finishing up his prayer, if we go back and look at chapter 8, which we did not study extensively, we find that there is an angel who comes to Daniel in chapter 8 to explain to him the vision that he has seen there concerning the coming times in the kingdoms of the Medes and the Persians and that of the Greeks to explain that to him. And so here again, as he's praying, Gabriel again comes to him, this angel Gabriel, who he sees as a man in the form of, of, of a man. And, and he says he comes and reaches him about the time of the evening offering. And so we, we look back at the Old Testament, and as I understand it, there were two specific times that they made offerings. One was in the morning, one was in the afternoon. And according to, the, the, to my understanding, the third hour of the day, which would have been 9 a.m., they, they made the, the morning offering. And the afternoon offering was at 
3 p.m. So at the third and the ninth hour, you know, we, we might assume that when Daniel made his prayers to God three times a day that he, it may have been according to that same observance. Maybe it was three in the morning and I mean in the afternoon and nine in the morning and maybe at noon or some other time. But, but we see that uh, consistency with, with God's plan and you know we see that even into the New Testament at, at the crucifixion of Jesus and the timing of when things happened according to the timing of those morning and evening offerings. <clears throat> and the fulfillment of those things in the, in the crucifixion of Jesus. <clears throat> and it says, and he informed me and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill and understanding. I'm gonna help you to understand this prophecy that I'm fixing to explain or the, and the prophecies that you've seen before uh, concerning those things that are going to happen. He said, at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out and I have come to tell you for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Oh, those words, how comforting those words had to be. Greatly are loved are you, Daniel. You know, Daniel had gone through all of these trials and difficulties and was faithful in his service to God and had seen the faithfulness of God, but just to hear those words of comfort. You know, we have words of comfort that tell us of God's love too. You know, John 3.16 talks about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What greater love could God show towards us? I'm also reminded of this verse in Romans chapter five. <clears throat> for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrates his love towards us, and while we were still sinners, God, Christ died for us. You know, he says, you know, for, you know, it's, it's hard for, to think about that you would die for someone else, but, you know, for, for a good person, you might, you know, a great leader or something, perhaps you put yourself on the line and you would die in that situation. But he says, but God shows his love towards us and while we were yet his enemies. When we were estranged from him, when we were yet in sin and lost, his compassion and his love for us and, and Christ dying for us in that situation. And now we get to the emphasis of the prophecy. 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. This is a curious verse. You know, we think about this 70 weeks, and, and I won't spend a lot of time talking about this, but what the, what the prophecy is talking about is not 70 weeks of days that we think about but he's talking about 70 weeks of years or a period of 490 years. And we think about that um, using one day for one year in scripture. And we're reminded back to the time that uh, the children of Israel had uh, crossed the Red Sea and they had got to the borders of Canaan and God had sent in, they had sent in the spies according to God's command and they had come back and they'd given their report and two of, the, two of those 
spies were, were Joshua and Caleb and they gave a good report, but the other 10 spies said, oh, we're, they're giants and we're grasshoppers in their sight and they'll, you know, they'll squash us like bugs, so to speak. We don't have a chance. And Joshua and Caleb said, but God is with us. And if God is with us, who can be against us, so to speak? But, they, but the people were afraid and so they wouldn't enter. And so God gave this decree and he said, okay, for every day that they were in there, which was 40 days, he said, y'all are going to wander out here in the wilderness until you all die. One year for every day. So we see that concept and we, and we re- remember that he said, those your children who you thought would be a prey to these people, they're going to inherit that land, but you're not because of your, your lack of faith, because of your lack of trust in me and, and the things that I've promised. But getting, getting, uh, getting back to the point that again, so we're talking about, and, and I think this is universally accepted that that is what this is referring to is a period of 490 years. There's another interesting uh, parallel here. And if we go to Second Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 21, it's talking, this is, this is the, the history and talking about the history of this time of captivity. And it says to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, talking about that 70 years of captivity until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. What's that mean? What does that 70 years mean? As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Remember under the law of Moses that every seven years they were to let the land lay fallow. They weren't to plant any crops. They were to let the land observe a Sabbath, a Sabbath of rest. And Jeremiah points out that if, if we take this very literally, that for a period of 490 years leading up to their captivity, they had not observed that law. And so, you know, there's significance in that 70 years. Now that. That was not certainly the only reason they were taken captive and they were allowed to be taken captive because they had completely, you know, become uh, worldly and, and, and idolaters and, and a lot of, you know, disobedient. I mean, they had just by and large forsaken God altogether and forsaken the laws of God. But there was significance in the 70 years because, because of this to me specifically, that they had not observed this and, they, and God was going to let the land lay fallow for that 70-year period. But it's also interesting to me that this would indicate there were 490 years leading up to this 70 years of captivity that they had failed to observe this. And now God is pointing forward to another period of 490 years <clears throat> that he's going to bring about some specific things. He says 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. And he talks about specifically to finish the transgression. Uh, my understanding of what he's, he's speaking about to finish the transgression was to, for, to finish the transgression of the Jewish people and their forsaking of God, culminating in the crucifixion of Jesus, the Messiah, the one they had looked for, whom they turned over to the Roman government to crucify, who they handed over to Pilate. And when Pilate gave them a choice, will you, shall I release Barabbas or shall I release Jesus? And they said, Barabbas, release Barabbas to us. So they chose the criminal over the Messiah. And when Pilate asked them, shall I crucify your king? And they, what was their reply? We have no king but Caesar. Their complete rejection 
of God in the, the completion of the, trans, the finishing of that transgression and their, their breaking of God's covenant. He says to make an end of sins to, or to bring about the means for sins to be forgiven. And we recognize when did that happen? That happened with Jesus' death upon the cross and his blood that was shed. To make reconciliation for iniquity or to make atonement for iniquity again, where do we see that fulfillment? In the cross of Christ, in the death of Jesus. To bring in everlasting righteousness. <clears throat> you know, when we think about everlasting righteousness, we recognize that our righteousness is in Christ. <clears throat> Romans 3, 21, 21 and 22 says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and upon all who believe. So everlasting righteousness is the righteousness that we are imputed with in Christ, the righteousness of Christ. <clears throat> to seal up vision and prophecy, which I understand here to mean to fulfill those things, to fulfill all of those prophecies of the, the coming Messiah that happened. Somebody counted them and said there's 333 of them. I don't know if that's exactly right or not, but there's a lot of prophecies about Jesus and, and all of those things were gonna be fulfilled in this 490 year period and to anoint the most holy. So these are the things that specifically Daniel is told that, that are going to be fulfilled in this period of 490 years and to anoint the most holy. We remember at the time that Jesus was baptized of John and following his baptism, he said, and he saw the spirit of God descending upon him like a dove and a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I, in whom I am well pleased. The anointing of Christ with the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> the son of God the Messiah. <clears throat> know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So when does the clock start on this 490 years? God tells us. He says the period is going to start with the command to go and rebuild, restore and rebuild Jerusalem. From that period forward, he said, there's going to be seven weeks seven weeks, seven times seven, 49 years. And there's going to be 62 weeks, 434 years. So we put those together, it's 483 years. So from the time of this command to the time of the Messiah, it's a period of 483 years. <clears throat> there were three decrees that we read about in scripture. Somebody says there's actually four. I, I didn't have time to track down where the fourth is, but my understanding is I think uh, that there's at least three. And the first one we find in Ezra chapter one, which was, which was the one we talked about there in, in uh, BC, six, um, BC uh, what year did I say that was? Um, 536, where, uh, oh yeah, it says right there, uh, 536, <laughs> where uh, Cyrus tells them to, to go back to your homeland and rebuild the temple. So that was the first time. The second time is in Ezra chapter six, which I'm, I have not tried to confirm all these dates. I'm going on by biblical historians and trusting that they've got these accurate. So around 518 BC was that second 
command to go back. And again, it was to read, the command was to rebuild the temple. The third one was given by Artaxerxes in Ezra chapter seven. And this command was not to only rebuild the temple, but it was to rebuild the city, to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the city. And there's significance there because what did the prophecy say from the command of the commandment to go and rebuild the city, to rebuild Jerusalem and restore the city until the time of the Messiah would be 483 years or seven weeks and 62 weeks. So, so I've, I've, I put this chart together uh, to help us kind of get a picture here of the time frame that we're talking about. So again, we go from the decree of Artaxerxes, which we understand to be 457 BC. And he said, there's a period of seven weeks and, and my understanding in this prophecy is during that seven weeks, what was going to happen? Jerusalem was going to be rebuilt. During that first 49 years, that first week of years, we're going to see Jerusalem, the city, is, is going to rebuild. The temple is rebuilt, the walls are rebuilt, and the city, the streets are remade, and all the debris of the destruction is swept away, and the city is restored. And we read in Nehemiah um, a few years before this, before 408, uh, BC where the wall was, was rebuilt. So it was happening during this time. It doesn't say it was, it was specifically finished in that week, but we know that during that week, during that 49 year period, the city of Jerusalem was restored, um, according, just according to the prophecy that was given to Daniel. And he said, then there's going to be another 62 weeks or 434 years. And when we track the time from, from 408 BC forward, 434 years, we come to the year A.D. 27. Now, what is significant about the year A.D. 27? Well, again, we look at the, the timing and we realize when was Jesus anointed? When he was baptized. What happened in A.D. 27? That's according, again, to the timeline and the historians, that is the time that Jesus was baptized. And so the prophecy had said from from the giving forth of the decree to the, to, the, uh, to, Messiah, to the time of the Messiah would be that 483 years. And isn't it amazing with the specificity according to this timeline that that, that event happened. And we see uh, that Jesus is baptized. So Jesus' birth would have been around the year 3 or 4 uh, B.C., <clears throat> You know, it's interesting also as you look at this, because if you're like me and you, you're, you're a numbers person, you go, okay, 457, 27, that would be, uh, that would be 484 years, right? That's kind of, if, if you're like me, that's, that's the first thing you go to. But, but what we have to remember is there was not a year zero. <clears throat> there was not a year zero. The, the transition from B.C. To, to A.D. was just from year, year 1 B.C. to year 1 A.D. There was not a zero there in between. And so that period of time would actually be that 483 years. <clears throat> and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. This is amazing, isn't it? You know, there are a lot of people who look at these prophecies and they make some wild uh, interpretations of the things uh, that God is prophesying here. And we're not going to go into any of that this morning. All I would say to you is, <clears throat> from a very, very simple standpoint, let's look at what is prophesied here and let's, let's, let's see how that actually comes to fulfillment in, in the, uh, the word of God. 
So again, he says that after that 62 weeks, so you got the seven weeks, you got the 62 weeks, you see the time of Christ's baptism, AD 27. He says, following that, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. What do we think about that? Well, he was going to be put to death, but not for himself. He wasn't put to death for himself, but for our sins, right? That's the reason Jesus was put to death. You know, looking at these prophecies, you know, we have the advantage of, of seeing, looking at this from the, from the you know, looking at the events happening. And, and so it's, it's easier for us to understand this. Certainly this has been a mystery to those who are reading it initially. He said, and the people of the prince who is, come, is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. So again, we go back to our chart here and we say, okay, after this 62 weeks, AD 27, what was going to happen? The Messiah was going to be cut off. And what happened in AD 30 or AD 31 in that time period was when Jesus was crucified. So that would be in the cutoff. And he said, also after this 62 weeks, he said, the prince who is going to come is going to bring destruction upon the city. And this is a little bit troubling to people because that event which Jesus or which the which he's prophesying about would be the destruction of Jerusalem which would happen about 36 years after AD 34 or AD 70. And the interesting thing to me or I guess what I gather from this is he doesn't say that that's going to happen in the 70 year period or in the 490 year period but he says it's going to happen after that 62 weeks or following <clears throat> The, the anointing of Christ. So in that time period following is when that destruction would take place or this one who would come on the wing of abomination and make desolate. As we, and then we get to the final verse here of chapter nine, verse 27. He says, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination shall one who makes desolate, shall be one who makes desolate even unto the consummation, which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So again, we go back to our chart here and we say, okay, in that last week, that last seven years that, would, that fulfill this 490 year period, he said he's going to confirm the covenant with many for one week or a period of seven years. Well, what happened between A.D. 27 and A.D. 34, what happened? Jesus began to preach the gospel, didn't he? He began to, to preach the new covenant, the covenant, of, the covenant of faith, the covenant of Christ. And so, and in the middle of that week, what happened? He said he's going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering because he made the one sacrifice for, for all people, for all, all time on the cross. So on the cross, so the justification for the offerings under the old law was brought to an end at the time that Jesus was crucified. So that was in the middle of that week. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? The specificity, specificity with which this prophecy is made. And what happened in the three years, three and a half years following that was what? That gospel was confirmed to the Jewish people. Basically, the gospel was preached only to the Jewish people during this period of time, which my understanding is ended around 34 AD, which was around the time that Stephen was stoned to death and that the people in Jerusalem, the great persecution came and they were scattered and they began to preach the gospel beyond the borders 
of, of Judea and to the Gentile peoples. <clears throat> he said he'll confirm it with, one, with many for one week. In the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall one who makes desolate even the consummation which is determined will be poured out. And again, that desolation, that, that uh, destruction of Jerusalem didn't happen in this 490-year period. But what did happen is Jesus told them it was going to happen. Jesus confirmed what Daniel had prophesied when he talked about the abomination of desolation. And he warned those, those believers or those Christians that when they saw Jerusalem surrounded by armies, that they would need to flee to the mountains. That was what Jesus said was this abomination of desolations that was referred to by Daniel that we read about in Matthew chapter 24. <sighs> In Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, Isaiah wrote, remember, or as inspired by the Holy Spirit, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things that have not yet, are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all of all my pleasure. All of the things that God has told us in the prophecies has come to pass and will come to pass. You know, there was a specific timeline, timeline that God gave to the children of Israel and to those who would study his word to understand the signs of the times of when the Messiah would arrive and the times that the specific events would happen culminating in the death of Christ upon the cross that would bring an end to that old law and the practices and the, and the, and the offerings of the old law and the ushering in of the kingdom of God. You know, we also... God has also given us certain prophecies of, of, of things to look for. And that specifically is to look for the returning of Jesus. But Jesus said of that day and hour knoweth no man, not even the angels of heaven, but the father only, that that, that day is only known by him. And in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, <clears throat> Peter wrote, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heath. Both the earth and the works that are in will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And in Matthew 24, Jesus said, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour of your Lord's coming. Hopefully, uh, I, I apologize for the length of the study this morning. Hopefully, it's been something that's interesting to you but something that also should inspire us and, and um, give us um, encouragement in hastening, looking forward to the time that Jesus returns and making sure that we are, pretty, we are ready and prepared for that time. Never knowing the minds of those present, if we can assist you this morning, if you would have a desire to obey the gospel of Christ, to know the Lord in the forgiveness of your sins, or if we could assist you with prayer or in any other way, we would invite you to come forward while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. <clears throat>